It's a new year and a new episode of the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, glad to have you back for 2020. On this week's show, we will preview the year ahead for both Canadian national teams. We'll also discuss the latest headlines for Toronto FC and the Vancouver Whitecaps. A new year also means a new guest on the podcast. I'm pleased to be joined by Alexandre Gongay-Ruzik from Between the Sticks. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Well, before we get into the show proper, this Saturday at the Rec Room, James Sharman and Christian Jack, famously of the Footy Show, back in the day, will be reunited for a special EPL Footy Fest event. They'll be hosting pre-game and halftime Q&A and discussion before a screening of Tottenham Liverpool on the movie theater-sized big screen at the Rec Room. The event is free with RSVP, so head over to homestandsports.com events for more details. Uh, definitely looking forward to that, but um, let's get on to the Canadian men's national team, which is what we'll start on with this weekend. Uh, evidently, they played a game. Uh, neither of us, uh, I don't think, saw much of that game. We were trying to get players from the team to, to maybe Instagram live the, the game or something like that, but uh, the, the player in question we were trying to talk to uh, actually started the game, so uh, no luck there. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, neither of us have, have seen much about the about Canada's 4-1 win over Barbados, so we won't discuss too much of that, but we'll, we'll discuss the camp as a whole, and um, I just wanted to start with some general thoughts on, on this January camp. Uh, I know we weren't sure if Canada was even going to have one, um, you know, until... It, literally a couple of weeks ago all of a sudden you've got an Iceland game uh, two Barbados games um, what, what does this camp mean for Canada and and obviously the main goal of, of at least the early part of 2020 which will evidently be to make up points in El, on El Salvador and try and uh, you know get yourself into that hex well I mean general thoughts I think if you're throwing like throwing away all the you know extra stuff around this camp I think it's great to have a January camp it's good to see a lot of these young players that you know in the last year or so there's been a lot of competitive games you don't necessarily PL guys some of these fringe players so I think yeah competition aside it's very interesting I hope we have these every year but then yeah as we all know they're the hex it's going to be huge they just need any points they're going to get obviously playing teams like Barbados they're not the most glamorous opponents but hey you're getting your one and two points at a time and that's what it's going to take to take out El Salvador so I just think it's obviously the more competitive games the better but I guess if you're looking at a long-term perspective that's what these camp is, this camp is for it's to set up those bigger games such as the Hex in the future. Yeah, very much is is clawing back for Canada at the moment uh, in, in terms of the points they're going to pick up from this. But like you said, uh, you know every point is important in terms of of closing that gap. And and a good point as well on on January camps and what they can mean for this national team program. I mean, like you alluded to, they've mostly been playing Nations League qualifiers or Concacaf Gold Cup games, or uh, evidently those Nation League proper games against the states and Cuba um, that were all essentially must win games. So Canada hasn't really. Had had an opportunity and John Herdman hasn't really had an opportunity to 
have a camp like this where evidently these games are important, but you know, with some of your European guys away, you're almost forced to take a look at your wider player pool. Um, with, with that in mind, who are who are some of the guys that you are very intrigued with uh, coming into this camp, and that um, you know over the next couple of games that we can actually watch over on uh, the Canadian Soccer website? That being uh, Barbados on Friday, and then um, Iceland next Wednesday. Um, you know, who are some of those players that that you're intrigued to see, and and what they can potentially do going forward for Canada? Well, I think surprise wise, I marked down three young guys. I think. They're Jade Nelson, TFC, you guys over uh, Waking the Red are probably a lot more familiar with him than, than we are over here on the West Coast. And then uh, Charles Andreas Brim and uh, Zorhan Basong, the two European-based. I don't think anyone saw them coming. It's great because dual nationals, one's a Belgian, one's France. Obviously, great teams if we can snag them, you know, because kind of like what happened with Fakayo Tomori, those teams are deep. If they go going to play for them, yeah, obviously they're going to take their chance. But dual nationals, it's great to see those two involved. And Jade Nelson, he's 17 years old. I mean, heck, when I was researching, he's still eligible for the 2024 Olympics. So <laughs> obviously, wow. it'll be nice to see what he can do for this camp, for the Olympic qualifiers going forward. He probably going to sign for tfc very soon from what we're seeing online so i think seeing some of those younger players is going to be interesting and then besides that there's lots of lots to pick through there's veterans you got to saint ricketts returning and scoring you got tasha wakandeli i think he's 10 goals last year in mls he's definitely someone say maybe over like uh, liam miller competing someone who's scoring and competing for minutes so if you look around there's a lot of interesting players to watch from all aspects of the camp yeah i certainly agree and uh, in that barbados game we did see five players make their national team debut um as you mentioned Jaden nelson the 17 year old uh, making his debut for canada at the senior level obviously he's represented canada most recently at the u17 world cup um charles andres Burm as well shamit shoma the montreal impact uh, noble Kello, another toronto fc uh academy player who, who's now signed to a senior deal and as you mentioned i think Jaden nelson it's only, it's probably only a matter of days until he also joins the the toronto fc senior ranks but um one player who you're probably more familiar with than than i would be um with the the west coast east coast thing is theo bear um who i know based on his incredible first name but um you know and i've seen i've seen clips obviously his first mls goal was was one of the better um mls goals or you know first mls goals or first professional goals that i've ever seen but uh what what do you make of this player and obviously you know it has to be a massive confidence boost going into this next season to score on your very first international cap I think with Theo Bear, he's, he's an interesting prospect because you look at him, you see 6'4", you see the size, you think, okay, hulking target man, you think someone who can really break down defenders, you know, push them back. But when you watch him play, he's he's a shifty guy. He likes to play wide. He kind of plays as like a second striker slash winger. And it took a while for, for them to convince me. I thought he was a target man. But the more you watch him, you kind of see those attributes. And th- that goal against Portland, uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the stadium, in the press box, got a great view. You can just see the technique because at the beginning of the season, he, he wasn't that confident. But as the season grew, he only got better. And I think he's kind of one of those players who just needs to be given a shot and he'll grow into the role so i think it's only this year based on what we've saw, seen on the national team what what we saw with the white caps he should be poised for a breakout and i think it's 
from what what people around the club are saying it's maybe a year or two you can see him in Europe maybe not like an Alfonso Davies at Bayern but maybe hey a mid-level Bundesliga Belgian team or something yeah that, that's obviously always going to be the issue now is, is all these prospects are going to get compared uh compared to Alfonso Davies and and what he's done but yeah certainly an exciting player and and one that uh you know I'll be watching it in this camp and going forward this year in MLS because uh he's another one of those guys just uh you know kind of in and around the national team who's pushing for minutes um now you've had some interesting articles over on between the sticks uh, about the the process for qualifying for the hex for Canada and and you know how how complicated this all is in terms of the math and otherwise I mean it seems like things are, are well I mean they're they're obviously going to be incredibly fluid as we lead up all the way there um, in, in terms of the points and, and what El Salvador is doing and, and multiple other factors but um, you know, at at this point, um, you know how how do you think Canada's or what do you think Canada's best route is is to get there, and uh, you know how does this January camp factor into that? Well, I mean, first off, I wish that they gave credits for this in school because all the research you have to do to learn this, <laughs> reading the FIFA book, I, I've delved way too deep into that, more deep deeper than I'd ever like to. But yeah, for the hacks. I mean, yeah, we all know the system. It's it's no good. There's no, I don't think there's anyone really defending that besides Concacaf. But hey, it's it it opens up a new path, and for Canada, it gets them playing these friendlies because, as we know, they have a 15 point gap to make up. Had they beaten the U.S. back in uh, November, it would have been they probably they still would have been in the lead for the hex but hey that's the reality of this new format things have changed at one i remember back in last year they weren't even close we were just saying hey you win twice against the u.s and then you're if if you're lucky you get it but el salvador losing obviously changes things because when you lose points drop so quickly as we've already seen so i think for the hex it's just now schedule as much as you can i mean hey three games in one window for a team that hasn't played a friendly since in two years that's that's a start so you just build up your points and el salvador i mean they're not the greatest team let's be let's be real like they're ranked higher than canada but they lost to the dominican republic Mm -hmm. you watch them against montserrat they really got tested like it wasn't an easy game and the goal itself they did score was controversial so if they play weaker teams they're not going to gain as many points and if they do play a stronger team like Iceland like they are even though it might not even be ranked it'll be a training match but they're going to get tested and it's very possible they lose so for Canada it's just win 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 and if they can win five or six games I think that's that's the 15 point gap made up already it's just how many will el salvador lose so how many more do you have to schedule but that's the the hard part of the math right yeah for sure and i I guess worst case scenario you know you're getting a number of these players into camp and and playing together so that's evidently going to play dividends down the road in terms of uh world cup qualifiers whatever round canada is going to play in and and you know future gold cups as well so uh, you know especially at this time when um when when a lot of those core national team players are younger it's you know i think this is a, a critical time for canada to get these players into as many camps as possible so uh maybe this little bit more in- incentive seems to be doing the trick to to you know get more 
uh, friendly scheduled uh, from the CSA. Uh, now, an- another thing that, that makes this camp interesting, of course, and, and maybe why we're seeing some of these younger players brought in is that Olympic qualifiers are coming up, and maybe this is an opportunity to um, get some of those players together that might be getting a look for Canada uh, once those Olympic qualifiers do happen. Now, the draw for uh, Canada will be tonight at 7.30. That'll be broadcast on One Soccer. Um Olympics have always been interesting for me because obviously from a worldwide perspective, they're not, you know, they're certainly not seen as as a top FIFA event. But with that being said, I, I you know, for very casual soccer fans in Canada, I don't know if they'll, they'll know the difference. And obviously Olympics are absolutely massive here. So uh, I've always seen the Olympics as, you know, while, while it's going to be very difficult to qualify for them. Uh, if Canada can, this could be a massive step forward for the program in the sense that uh, it's going to give them a, a huge amount of visibility that maybe wouldn't be the case in other countries. So uh, I, I do see March's qualifiers, uh, you know, especially with the depth of, of talent that we have, as as a good opportunity here for for Canada to really stand up and and stand out uh, within this country. Well, I think for Olympics, obviously, if you look at all the many events there are, there was U-17 World Cup recently, U-20 World Cup qualifiers, all that. Obviously, dream, you hope Canada makes all of them. But especially for Olympics, if you're looking at a tournament they want to be in, I think this is probably the best year they have, at least in recent memory and at least for the time being now. Like if you you look at Olympics, what's so unique about it is the U23 aspect, at least on the men's side, which obviously diminishes things because, say, on the women's side, what which we'll delve into later is Olympics. It's basically another World Cup, but for men's, it's kind of just a U23 tournament. And then when you get to the tournament itself, obviously you have your three overagers that you're allowed. So I think for Canada, you look at their core, their best players are under 23. So if they do manage to get to the Olympics, they'll have an unreal squad like pretty much most of their main guys mm-hmm. junior hoylet they can throw in a milan borean a scott arfield for example there's your three overagers plus davies david you're set right so i think if there's a year they want to make the olympics this is the year obviously qualifiers it's hard you don't have davies and david but that's where you're going to see your bears you're going to see Brim, Basong, Nelson, guys like Shamit Shom, even hopefully CPL guys like Tristan Borges, Taryn Campbell over at Pacific. Obviously, Pacific we're, we're very familiar with here. So mm-hmm. I think for Olympics, yeah, it's just it's a great opportunity. I mean, exposure-wise, if you're talking exposure, I mean, Neymar playing in the Olympics and seeing how much it meant to him, I think the tournament is starting to gain notoriety because of that. Yeah, for sure, and 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 like you said, uh, you know, it's it's also a good opportunity because Canada has so many good young players, and and getting them to all play together on on a big stage uh, would evidently be massive. And I do think the Canadian Premier League makes a, a massive difference in this, in the sense that you know, back in the day, if if Canada was getting an Olympic qualifying roster together, is largely guys who were uh, playing with second teams or or in academies or that sort of thing. But now, you know, it's most of this team will be playing fully professional, and that's that's in dual parts because I think the talent base has gotten significantly better in Canada, but also because there's now a league where these guys get an opportunity to play week in, week out. Um, it doesn't come at the greatest time as most of these guys will be, you know, towards the end of their off season. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I think that is a, um, is somewhere where the Canadian Premier League can benefit and maybe the first look at, at what the Canadian Premier League can do for the national team program will be those, these Olympic qualifiers. 
Uh, now, as you mentioned, it is an Olympic year for the women's national team as well. Uh, and, you know, Olympic year is, is much bigger on the women's side than it is on the men's side, even with all the things we've mentioned. Um, you know, the, the, evidently uh, going to be a lot more pressure on the women's team, of course, as well, you know, with the expectations having won bronze at, at the last two Olympics. Um, what do you make of this year for Canada? Because they always seem to be better, certainly at the Olympics, than they are at the the World Cup. Maybe that's the depth of ta- or depth of competition with a lot of the top European countries. You know, kind of uh, lost out in the numbers game. Um, but you know, what is this opportunity for Canada to to kind of recover from what was a bit of a disappointing World Cup? Well, I think certainly. At least with John Herdman leaving the, in 2018, it was, last year was like a honeymoon year, you can say, with Kenneth Heiner Muller. Mm-hmm. And I think now the, the pressure is certainly ramped up. At first, okay, he's a new coach. He's working things through. I think people are ready. Okay, like this team is too good. Sinclair, you can't be wasting the best years of – well, the best years are already starting to get behind her. But even then, she's still – pot and goals you don't want to waste the end of her prime i guess you'd say so the pressure is certainly wrapping up on heiner muller because when you looked last year at the team what i did like about the team was defensively that you watch their 4-4-2 they defended excellently but they couldn't score it was painful Mm -hmm. for a team with sinclair you go your janine becky Jesse Fleming, Jordan Hoytemann, Nichelle Prince, Adriana Leone, you go down and down the list, they have quality attackers, but they just couldn't score. So and then you they recently in the friendlies, it was you can only watch one, I guess it was the Japan one, the other one wasn't televised, but they went with a three five two to try to solve their woes. And then the, the they lost five five nothing, I think. Yeah, it was five nothing. So Clearly now they got defensive issues to sort out, but it's like, can you defend enough to score? And that's probably going to be what defines Mahler's tenure as the coach, and it's going to be the, the interesting thing to watch for them this year because this is kind of a must-win year because if not, it's three years till the next tournament, and by then, who knows if Christine Sinclair will be around. Right. In that sense, uh, which players do you think are are key for Canada this year in terms of, of stepping up and, and maybe having a breakout season? I know we've... Uh, evidently Canada's done a pretty good job of, of cycling in talent and, um, you know, with that so-called golden generation on the way out, uh, bringing in younger players, and, and a lot of them have done very well. Um, but with that being said, obviously they need players to, to really step up for them over, over the last little bit, and, and as you mentioned, especially offensively. Yeah, well, I think a couple that have stood out to me, I just mentioned uh, some of their names, like Janine Becky, for example, because over at Manchester City women's side, she's really taken a step this year. She's scoring a lot of goals, just like she was before the World Cup, but people over, you see, people over at Man City, they're really saying that she's taken another step this year, and I think as it stands right now, in, it was almost symbolic in a way, even though the penalty didn't go as well as she would have hoped when Sinclair did give her that penalty in the Sweden game. It, it's her team now, pretty much. She look, she's in her prime. Everyone else is kind of young or kind of old. She's kind of one of the players in the prime, maybe along with Ashley Lawrence, the the the, the fullback. Mm-hmm. So I think Janine Becky, for one, for me, is going to be huge. And then you look at other young players like Jordan Hoytema, for example. She's only 
yeah, she's only 19, 18. She's still super young, right? She's got a long way to go. Um, she's playing for Paris now with Lawrence, and she's training in a high-pressure environment, obviously playing before with the Whitecaps Academy. It was a good level, and it showed she was performing, but now she took another step to the professional game, and from what people said, the talents there just needs to be nurtured. So I think it's lo- not long before we're going to see her scoring regularly for the national team and I think one for me that's really I want to see more from this year is Fleming Jesse Fleming over at UCLA she broke out at the 2015 World Cup everyone was raving about her she was excellent but feels like she's kind of hit a lull and I don't know if that's kind of like a college game thing you know the four years you kind of stagnate you're not really testing yourself Mm -hmm. and she's going to graduate soon and definitely move on to a good professional club but I do want to see more from her not because she's been doing necessarily bad but I feel like there's another gear gear there and I think if if she finds it she can definitely help fill that veteran to youngster gap we're seeing at least on this team for now. All right, well, let's move on to uh, the MLS sides for for in Canada. Um, we'll, we'll talk a bit about Toronto FC and obviously uh, your West Coast Vancouver Whitecaps as well. Um, just some of the headlines that have come out in the past couple of days. Uh, for Toronto FC, the biggest one, that being Chris Mavinga uh, re-signing with Toronto FC. His agent uh, leaked that it might be a three-year deal. Uh, we usually don't get uh, much information on on how many years, <laughs> certainly. That. Yeah, um, that's uh, that any MLS players are signed for. Um, evidently, the the salary will learn at at some point. One of the two MLS players uh, union releases upcoming, but uh, certainly a you know a, a player that's had good years with Toronto FC, a, a player that's high risk, high reward. You know, everyone will talk about that LAFC draw uh, from for Toronto FC where he, he gave up the late penalty and, and moments like that uh, maybe not his best year this past year with Toronto FC but you, you kind of wonder if that's down to inconsistency of defensive partners um, yeah I guess Mavinga's back what are your thoughts on it well, I think I've always found yeah Mavinga kind of like an enigma in a way I think for him the way I've seen best summed up is, I don't know if you remember when he came to Vancouver last year, it was in May, and he had probably, he was the best player on the pitch for 45 minutes, and then he left injured. For me, that's kind of <laughs> his tenure. He's, he's He'll just, you'll watch him like, wow, this guy can defend, he's got the tools, he can run fast, he can tackle, he, he, but at the same time, he stays in position, but He's, yeah, I guess that's the thing. Can he stay healthy? Can he avoid being too reckless with his tackles, just being calm, kind of like a modern center back that just relies on positioning? So, hey, it'll be good for Toronto. They got, I mean, they got another one like him in Simon, which is probably, you probably wouldn't want them to play together. But Omar Gonzalez really seems to be a calming presence. And I think Gonzalez and Mavinga should be an excellent pair for TFC next year. Yeah, watching, uh, I mean, they started to figure it out towards the end of the year, but Simon and Mavinga, especially in the early going, was like, I mean, they both fly into tackles, both miss, and then there's literally, <laughs> there's no one in between he, your attacker and the goal. So uh, they, they started to figure out that out, like I said, in the playoffs, and they had some pretty solid performances together. But uh, certainly I think Gonzalez makes all the difference in, in terms of whoever is deputizing him and, and their performance. 
Um, the other bit of news for Toronto FC is the fact that Alex Bono is, is generating significant interest, it sounds like, from other MLS teams. He's currently training with Bartonsley as well um, over in England. That's not necessarily uncommon. I know a lot of MLS players and certainly a lot of Toronto FC players throughout the years have, have gone over to other clubs and and trained with them a bit during the offseason just to uh, you know get a bit of a taste of, of different training grounds and, and that sort of thing. Um with you know, with that being said, he's he's a backup making three hundred eighty-two thousand uh, dollars. Certainly, from a salary cap standpoint, uh, that's got to be a little bit difficult for Toronto FC to stomach. And um, you'd think with Quentin Westberg taking his role this past year, um, maybe it might be time for Alex Bono to move on. Uh, a, a goalkeeper who I really do think has you know starting caliber um, MLS skill. Well, I think, yeah, for me, at least one thing I've always, I've been saying a lot lately is I think MLS goalkeepers is probably the biggest market inefficiency in the league. If you look around the league, it's it's basically a coin toss from the big name international goalkeepers to the cheap domestics. They all kind of, obviously a good one makes the difference, but if one's making a lot of money, and if you look at between Westberg and Bono, Westberg, he was pretty much like pretty good last year pretty much similar to what bono brings and then for from vanny's greg vanny's point of view he played the ball better with his feet and for a coach he wants to play up tempo football that's he's gonna pick the guy who he, he who he trusts to play his style and i think if he's saving money on that i think bono's gonna go i think he's gonna be a good goalkeeper at another team that needs one there's certainly some teams that do need goalkeepers out there there always will be because performance from year to year isn't always guaranteed so i think he'll be valuable he's a u.s international so on any team he won't bog up an international spot so i'd say definitely watch for him next year if maybe with the chip on his shoulder he'll get back to where he wants to be because from what i saw at tfc it wasn't necessarily that he was bad but it just wasn't a fit and he was making too much money so and when that happens in mls if there's a league that's going to happen and it's one where the salary cap plays such a big role in how teams have to construct themselves yeah i certainly agree i think uh, like you said it's just not necessarily a systematic fit at toronto fc at the moment with um the amount they expect their goalkeeper to to be able to play the ball and and like you said i think toronto fc might be able to um, to get a goalkeeper that's a little bit cheaper that might fit their system a little bit better to be the backup for Quinton Westberg, who will be around for uh, the next couple of years, I believe his, his extension is. So um, that that would seem to be the move for Toronto, although I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they do keep Alex Bono. I certainly likes to be in Toronto, and that's why he signed the contract in the first place. Um, now, today was also the MLS draft. I think we'll just briefly mention uh, the fact that uh, the Whitecaps, who we'll talk about in a second here, took Ryan Raposo, a Canadian from Hamilton, uh, a midfielder, winger type, fourth overall. Uh, Toronto FC, they drafted Niall Higgins, 19th overall out of Syracuse. Um, heavy Toronto FC-Syracuse connection. I mean, Alex Bono's one of those players. Um, and Achara as well, who's a midfielder out of Georgetown. Um, don't know a lot about these players. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, the, the draft really is um, one of those mechanisms where you can get players through it, but it's certainly not an expectation that these players will um, ever even really pull on a, a senior shirt for these clubs at this point. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on those players. And certainly at fourth overall, maybe you'd expect the Whitecaps to get some value there, especially with, you um, 
you know, maybe a, a little bit more opportunity in their lineup to break in, but uh, we'll see there. Um, now moving on to the Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, something that we've covered a little bit on this show, but not too much, of course, is the Lucas Cavallini signing. Um, certainly haven't talked about it too much from, from a Whitecaps perspective and what it could mean going forward. Now, certainly a massive offseason for the Whitecaps um, with, you know, the season ticket holder thing and, um, you know, just, just the fact that they are in year two of the Mark DeSantos project this is definitely their biggest move to date. Um, what do you make of it? And, and you know, bringing a Canadian international who's playing at a pretty high-level home uh, as a designated player. Well, I think at the surface level, it's a huge signing. And obviously, with the price tag, it makes sense, you know, when you're paying $6 million for a striker, a Canadian guy. Even though he's a Toronto guy, he's coming home, as he said. So it's always going to be a big deal from a marketing standpoint, from a surface level. He's a guy who scores goals. The Whitecaps didn't score very many. So you, you look at it and all the X's and O's line up. But then when you dig deeper, it's this is where the move is probably going to – you're going to see the difference. Because I think on its own, it's a good move. But if, if things go right, it can become a great move. And if you scratch underneath – Obviously, one thing I like to look a lot at is advanced stats, analytics, all that. And you look at the Whitecaps and what plagued them last year. It's been something a lot of the writers and people around the team this year have tried, struggled to figure out and try to find solutions for. Well, we do know the solution, but trying to explain is that the Whitecaps, they just struggled to produce offense mainly from the midfield. They, you look at how they play, they struggled to penetrate through the middle they wouldn't create much and they actually outperformed how how the expected goals metric expected them to score so when you look at their problems they couldn't generate so bringing in a finisher a proper finisher seems a bit you know like why he's not necessarily the problem they have to fill so i think if you look at how he plays can drop back he's good with his feet i think he'll help them but if they can find a way to feed him and get him the ball regularly so he's not sitting there chasing the service trying to get get someone to pass him the ball i think that'll be the difference between him saying maybe scoring 12 goals and scoring 20 and becoming an mls top forward because i think yeah vancouver can sort that out and it'll be hard because they don't have maybe the DP spot, say like Toronto FC does. They have one DP spot. Vancouver doesn't have one as of right now. So it's going to be like, how do you make that happen? Because that's going to be the most important part of the signing, probably bigger than the signing itself. Right. So with that in mind, uh, what's still on the shopping list for Vancouver? Because, you know, they obviously had made that high profile move with Cavallini and now have had a Raposo as well. Um, what role he'll play for them this next year is uh, we don't know from the sounds of things. He seems like a maybe a longer term project in terms of, you know, really becoming a, a day in day out starter at the MLS level. So um, other than that, they haven't really made a, a lot of moves. What's still needs to be built in terms of like you said kind of adding guys around Cavallini to make sure he you know he's not starved of service and and can't make the impact that uh really he could at, at this level well I think yeah if you look at their team their back five is pretty much sorted Max Crepo great season you got Derek Cornelius he really stood out last year he really broke out and was excellent for them you got Eric Godoy looking to come back you got Jake Nowinski Ali and great really when you get up the field where there's lots of lots of holes to fill i think the only guaranteed starters you have right now are lucas cavallini at the nine and uh then you got huang inbaum at the number eight because after that well you got Jordi reina who's a great player but where does he play 
he's he's best through the middle, but Mark DeSantos isn't going to play him in the midfield. So it looks like on the wing, but on the wing, he's not as good in the middle. So, hey, will he be traded? Will he go back to Peru for a lot of money? That might be something on the table. So I think it's the biggest positions are going to be the number six and the number eight because mm-hmm. based on who they get there and how they get them, I think it, it might even change the way they play because they do have a lot of center backs. And Ali Adnan, he is probably one of if not the best attacking left back in the league do they go three five two maybe depending on how they how good their midfield is and how much they trust them to support this the defenders but it that's probably going to be that's why when uh recently uh the owner or co-owner jeff mallet he did straight up say we're looking for a number six and an eight and we'll see from there because those will probably shape the rest of the team and see how they might end up lining up because really it's as we saw last year the midfield is going to make or break this team yeah absolutely and one last bit of news for the Whitecaps that is of course the hiring of a new CEO Mark Panis um a, you know a lot of experience for him New York Knicks AS Roma to to name a few um what do you make of this hiring and you know evidently some restructuring from the front office as well for the Whitecaps uh, heading into this season I think it's a great hiring you see his pedigree you see what he's done he, for the front office they've they've been a lot under a lot of pressure over the last few years for not you know not spending maybe marketing all this stuff and you see mark panis he definitely brings pedigree in all those areas you look at bc place it's a great facility i mean you look at atlanta united they got a seventy-five thousand turf stadium you look at even vancouver's rivals seattle they got a similar situation then you look at vancouver they're only selling 25,000 seats. You feel like you look there and there's a lot of wasted potential. I think one thing that has resonated with fans so far is that Panis isn't afraid to in press conferences. He's like, I look at that stadium, I think it can be 50,000. You think people can sell it out and you look at that, I get too excited because Vancouver's so far in their MLS tenure, they've been very average and you look at their city you look at their facilities you look at even say other teams in the city the the canucks the the lions even the old editions of the whitecaps they've typically found a way to succeed you you, you look at the whitecaps you kind of like there's a lot more there they just need to find it and they need to harness it because this city can be a top sporting city but the whitecaps maybe have lagged behind i think panis he brings an ironclad reputation He's not necessarily there signing players and whatnot. That's what Mark DeSantos and Axel Schuster are there for. But he'll maybe make this a real, a real soccer team, a brand, something like LA Galaxy or even Toronto FC, Seattle Sounders team, pe- teams that people know around the world. Teams that they, you hear them those names, you're like, oh, that's a that's a club. Because with the Whitecaps, they're kind of not at that stage yet, and that's what Panis is there for. It's to legitimize their operations in a sense. Yeah, certainly, as always, will be exciting to see what the Whitecaps do this year. Um, hopefully for more positives uh, this season going forward. But, uh, you know, I think good early signs. They just now have to fill in some of those more blanks, as you said. Um, but that brings us to the end of the show. Alexander, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thanks, Mitchell. It was a pleasure to be on the show. And uh, once again, Tottenham Liverpool on the big screen at the rec room which is really the best place in the city to watch live soccer. Christian Jack, James Sharman will be there. Trivia, prizes, Q&A, and a lot more. You won't want to miss it. That's over at homestandsports.com slash events for tickets. Otherwise, have a good rest of your week, everyone. Mm